0: If you would, please get a Bible and turn to Leviticus, the book of Le- uh, Leviticus. Now, if you were with us last week, I pretty much covered the question at the beginning, why Leviticus, right? And basically, the answer is, I heard someone say, why not Leviticus, <laughs> right? Yeah, why? Because God's word is sufficient for the needs of God's people, and that includes the book of Leviticus, right? And so, it's my task uh, in this time together uh, with you to kind of bridge the cab, uh, bridge the gap as it relates to Leviticus. Like, really? Don't you know what's going on in the land? Seriously. And I want to bring to your, uh, I want to remind you about what the scholar who studied Leviticus forever, for forever, not forever. For over uh, 10 years in an academic study, okay, uh, for his PhD. He said, In my experience, at least four profound things happen when this book begins to seep into your soul. Number one, you hunger for God's holiness more frequently. Number two, you fear God more greatly. Number three, you love Jesus more deeply. And number four, you love your neighbor more fully. That's after 10 years of saturating his spirit. And his mind in the book of Leviticus. And I don't know about you, but these are the things that I need in my life. How about you? All right? To hunger for God's holiness more frequently, to fear God more greatly, to love Jesus more deeply, and to love your neighbor more fully. This is what I need. This is what this church needs. This is what the evangelical church in America needs. This is what the world needs. We need these things, brother. And sister. And I need this for the rest of 2020, which I'm kind of anxious to get 2020 over with. How about you? It's been a doozy of a year, hasn't it? And I think that we will not fulfill our mission as Jesus ordered us to do without those four things. So I want to highlight that. Now, let's uh, do a real quick review of three things. Let's go through the structure, the guiding principles, and then we'll get into the theology of the book. All right, first, the structure of Leviticus. What's cool about this structure of the book is that it answers a question. And here's the question How can corrupt Israelites live near God's goodness without being destroyed? You may recall the, the, uh, the illustration of the sun. Is the sun a good thing? Is it a beautiful thing? It brings light. It helps with life, right? But if you get too close to the sun, what happens? You're toast, right? And so how can corrupt Israelites, how can the nation of Israel live near God's goodness without being destroyed? And basically the answers are three words. Everyone say ritual, priesthood, purity. All right? That's it. Now, here's how the structure goes. Chapters 1 to 7 and 23 are about sacrifice and feast day regulations. Chapters 8 and 10 and 21 and 22 about, are about the priestly duties and services. And then chapters 11 to 15 and 18 to 20 are about purity and holiness in everyday life. And these chapters serve to highlight, this literary structure of the whole book serves to highlight the very center of the book, which, what are the chapters? 16 and 17. And what are they about? The Day of Atonement. That's the heart of this book. Now we could also, I mentioned uh, a chiasmus. Many of you know what a chiasmus is. Here's, here it is uh, visually, like this. Boom, there's the center. Right? Same structure, just in a different visual way. Okay? Now let's go to uh, guiding principles. Number one, understand the book in its own context, including the weird stuff. Right? You remember my illustration last week with the taboo? Right? We all have different uh, cultures, have different taboos. And so we have to be sympathetic to the ancient Israelite as it relates to their laws that God gave Israel for their time and their space. And if we do, Our love and affection for Jesus will only increase. Number two, the laws and regulations protect sacred space. What is sacred space? Where God dwells. All right, so have that in the back of your mind. The laws and regulations protect sacred space. Number three, and this is important, to be unclean or impure was not to be sinful. It meant you were ritually disqualified for sacred space until you became ritually clean, okay? Sometimes uh, you will become ritually unclean for various reasons, and uh, often the time is basically take a uh, bath, and uh, you're good to go until evening time, or take a bath, wait wait a week, these kind of things. Number four, the laws and festivals restore and maintain access to God's presence and power for ancient Israel. And then finally, something that we're all very good at here in America— Avoid ripping verses out of their context, right? And I gave you the example last week of Leviticus 19:28, which uh, is a reference to no, no uh, tattoos, but if you read it in context, the cutting of the body and the tattoo marks were involved in Canaanite pagan rituals related to worshiping dead ancestors. And all the pro-tattoo people are happy with me, and all the anti-tattoo people are not happy with me, And that's what I get for preaching God's word in context. So that's just the way it is. All right. Now, let's get to Leviticus. And I have four ways to live near God's presence. And if these points seem familiar, behold, you are not having a deja vu. Okay. You're not having a deja vu. Repetition is good for learning. All right. Let's get to it. Number one. God provided a way to live near his presence through ritual, but now it's through Jesus. Amen. Now, for today, I want to give you an overview of the five offerings in chapters one through seven. Okay? Let's take a look at this. Five offerings, two expressions. I'm sorry. That was expressed through the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. I'm sorry. That's the first expression. Second expression, thank you, thank you. And that's expressed through the grain offering and the fellowship offering. This is an overview of the five offerings in chapters 1 through 7. For our time, let's go to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 6. Together, Leviticus chapter 6. And let's go to verse uh, 14. I hear the pages of God's word being turned. That's a beautiful sound. Amen. Amen. I don't ever want to take that for granted. You can go to worship services in America and the pastor will never invite you to open up your Bible. And that's why we're in such a mess. Leviticus Leviticus chapter 6 verse 14. If you got it, say, I got it. Now this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall present it before the Lord in front of the altar. Alright, so we're focusing on what offering? The grain offering. Then one of them shall lift up from it a handful uh, of the fine flour of the grain offering with its oil and all the incense that is on the grain offering, and he shall offer it up in smoke on the altar a soothing aroma as its memorial offering to the Lord. What is left of it, Aaron and his sons, are to eat. It shall be eaten as unleavened cakes in a holy place. They are to eat it in the court of the tent of meeting. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as uh, their share from my offerings by fire. It is most holy, like the sin offering and the guilt offering. So also know that these five offerings, they tend to blend together, okay, as it relates to their meaning and what they're depicting. And the Hebrew term for the grain offering is minka. Everybody say minkah, right? It's used elsewhere in the Old Testament to refer to the tribute that uh, was offered to a great king as a sign of and thanksgiving for his goodness to his subjects. We could go to uh, Judges 3.15 uh, as an example of that, where, uh, where Israel gave this tribute or this minka, Right? Uh, to Ehud when he delivered them from the Moabites. So what's going on here? The, the grain offering served the same purpose. When the ancient Israelites offered up their grain on the altar, they were thanking the Lord for his mercy. They were thanking the Lord for supplying their needs. And when a grain offering was given, only a small portion, if you notice, only a small portion of it was actually sacrificed. Verse 16 indicates the rest of the offering went to the priest to supply their needs for food. So it's kind of a double whammy, if you will. That's a technical term, by the way, double whammy. It, it's as if the grain offering is both an expression of gratitude and it's also a provision for the priests. Right, An expression of gratitude, but also it's a provision for the priests. And from ancient times, the leaders of God's people depended on the covenant communities kindness to help them provide for their own families and all the pastors in the house said amen thank you all Right. so the grain offering is a reminder to us all to be thankful to god for what we have we're in the month of what november grain offering this should be a reminder we should focus and give thanks to god for what we have and because we live in america That's a whole lot. Amen? That's a whole lot. Unfortunately, we're we're, um, affected by the God of mammon and materialism, which is always a seductive voice that says, here, this will help. Here, that will help more. Here, this will satisfy. And the malls of America have become temples whereby people try to, they want to go buy something just to kind of get a fix, right? Get a fix, not out of need, but out of a fix. And so today, hear the word of the Lord saying, Be thankful for what you have. Focus on what I've given you more so than what you want or what you don't have. Amen. Amen. We should be grateful, people. Gratitude is a mark of maturity. For instance... From his hospital bed on the eve of open-heart surgery, Pastor Bruce McIver asked his cardiologist, Dr. Dudley Johnson, can you fix my heart? The physician said, sure. Then he walked away. By the way, what is it with all these doctors and physicians? Their bedside manners are horrible oftentimes, right? Following the 12-hour surgery, the pastor asked the cardiologist, in light of the blocked arteries that I had when I checked into the hospital, how much blood supply do I now have? The surgeon looked at him and said, All you ever need. Upon his discharge from the hospital, the pastor's wife asked the doctor, What about my husband's future quality of life? Dr. Johnson paused and then said, I fixed his heart. The quality of his life is up to him. woo I fixed his heart. The quality of his life is up to him. Jesus Christ died to give us a life more abundantly. And an abundant life is a grateful life to God. Amen. So, how's your life going? How's your life going? You got all your chips in the election? (laughs) How's your life going? Abundant life. Thankful life. Gratitude is the key to the door that opens up access to an abundant life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Number two. Number two. God provided a way to live near his presence through the priesthood, but now it's through Jesus. It's through Jesus. I want to camp on the priesthood and Jesus uh, for a few moments here. And my hope that it will lead us to love Jesus more than we do now. So let's go to Leviticus 9. Let's turn to Leviticus 9, verse 5. And when you got it, say, I got it. I heard pages being turned after people said, I got it. So let me hear you. You got it? We good? Okay. Leviticus 9. Verse 5 So they took what Moses had commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the whole congregation came near and stood before the Lord. Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Remember my picture when we went through Exodus of the lightning bolt? Yeah, the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Verse 7, Moses then said to Aaron, Come near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering that you may make atonement for yourself and for the people. Then make the offering for the people that you may make atonement for them just as the Lord has commanded. All right? And remember what atonement means, right? We're at lunch. I forget my wallet. You look at me with loving eyes and say, I got you covered that's atonement. That's what God has done to us in Jesus Christ. All of our sin in word, thought, and deed, and motive is laid bare before a holy God. And because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, God is saying from the heavens in Jesus Christ, I got you covered. Amen. I got you covered. So back then, the high priests had to make atonement for themselves first. Did you notice that in in Leviticus 9, 5 through 7? They had to make atonement for themselves first, then for the people. And this is why Jesus Christ is far superior as our high priest. There are other ways, but he did not have to offer any sacrifice to cleanse himself. Amen. Can I pull in the author of Hebrews? Hebrews 4.14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. No man can say that, including the one preaching no man can say i am without sin ah but there is a man the god man the high priest the king of all kings his name is jesus christ praise god no no he's not cleaning up himself he's not making atonement for himself he's not appealing to god for for to be covered before he sacrifices no no now Listen to me. Most of you are familiar with that passage that is read in uh, Hebrews 4. The author of Hebrews gives a practical application in light of the high priesthood of Jesus being far superior to the high priesthood uh, in Leviticus. And do you know what that practical application is? Here, Hebrews 4, 16. Quote, Therefore, because Jesus is a high priest, It's been tempted in all ways that we have, yet without sin. Because of that, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Now, stay with me now. Watch this. Drawing near was what the high priest did when they sacrificed. The high point of the year was on the day of atonement. It's the heart of of the law right in Leviticus it's the high point of the year day of atonement it was dangerous and it could be deadly right they had little bells on the attire of the high priest to make sure as, as he continues to move and and does what the high priest does they could hear him tinkle if I could put it that way the bell's still ringing right he's still alive and if he was zapped by God and killed they had a rope they could pull him out without themselves being killed But now Christ has come. We can draw near to God with confidence. And his throne is a throne of grace. Let me pull in James here. Y'all remember James said this? I bet you you can finish the, uh, the, uh, the verse for me. Draw near to God. Draw near to God. Do you know this Bible verse? Draw near to God and what? He will draw near to you. That Greek verb translated draw near is used in the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament when God says, quote, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. This is what God said when he zapped Abihu and Adab. We saw that last week. This phrase, to draw near, is used of God warning to not draw near the altar, or go into the temple veil without, uh, rather with a blemished offering. Leviticus twenty-one, twenty-three. You do not draw near to the temple veil. You do not draw near to the altar uh, altar with a blemished sacrifice. No. So understand that verse, beloved. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you in the sense of a priest that would draw near to God in the tabernacle or in the temple. Yes, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Anyone here in a time of need? Anyone listening in a a time of need online? Draw near to God. Are you and your spouse at a standstill? You both cannot and will not move. It's a stalemate, and your stalemate is getting really stale. Draw near to God. Be like God. Anyone ticked off and angry about what's going on with the presidential election? Draw near to God. Are you afraid of the future? What's going to happen in the future? Draw near to God. Do you remain bitter over what happened to you in the past? Draw near to God. Is anyone listening loaded down with guilt and shame? Draw near to God. Pray. As we approach the holidays, heavy feelings of emptiness, heavy feelings of depression and despair can come in. What are you going to do with them? Draw near to God. Use those feelings to draw near to the Lord. Reach out to me or someone from the church. Get some help. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross for us to stay in that pit of darkness. And the only way out of that dark pit is through the high priest, and his name is Jesus. Praise God. And by the way, as the author of Hebrews states, we pray not just to ask for, but we pray in order to receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Amen. Yeah, we're just not bloviating to the heavens. We're speaking to our Father through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he knows we're in need. And he's made a way to draw, to, to go confidently to his throne of grace. Not just to ask for, but to obtain mercy, find grace. Amen. Anyone in need of finding grace today? Anyone in need of finding mercy today? Draw near to God. Number three, God provided a way to live near his presence through the purity laws. But now, it's through Jesus Christ. Let's go to Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18. There's part of me that wants to read the entire chapter, but I feel like I might lose some people. I mean, if you start to read, the, when you go through the whole chapter, chapter of 18, you basically need an org chart as to find out how many ways you can mess up your sex life. Somebody's sleeping with him, somebody's sleeping with her, and he's sleeping with that animal, and I mean, it's crazy. Just like out there in the world, it's, cra- it's chaos out there, right? It's chaos. So let's go to verse 1. Leviticus 18. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live in accord with them. I am the Lord your God. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. And let's just go ahead and uh, go to verse 6 to give you a sense as to what the rest of the chapter is about. None of you shall approach any blood relative of his to uncovered nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, that is, the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You are not to uncover her nakedness. You see there? And on and on we go. And I might have an org chart maybe next week to, to... give you a visual of all the the ways we mess things up. So, God provided a way to live near his presence through purity laws, but now it's through Jesus. It's through Jesus. In these verses, God tells his people not to live like the pagans around them. For this week, I want to emphasize one thing as it relates to purity, okay? Nothing and no one can make us pure except Jesus Christ. Okay? All of our legalistic ways is not helping our walk with Jesus one bit. Okay? Not one bit. All of our little rules that we think protect us from more sinning is not helping our purity one bit. In fact, it hurts more. It does not help more. The only way to be pure is to be in Jesus Christ. Amen. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. So the the things that we have done that bring shame to us and the things that have been done to us that bring shame to us, if you're in Jesus Christ, all of that is covered by the blood of Christ. Amen. 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 Walk according to the Holy Spirit, according to God's Word. Number four, God provided a way to live near His presence through the Day of Atonement ritual. But now, it's through Jesus. Now, last week we saw Leviticus 16, 29-34, which is in regard to the Day of Atonement. This week I want to highlight again Leviticus 17, 11. Leviticus 17 11, which says for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls who gave it God gave it see listen th- this ritual stuff and offering stuff it's not it's not uh, really about what the offerer does okay Don't read all these laws that way. It's what God has provided in his grace and mercy to live near his presence. Again, back to verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Now, I want to show you this, this graphic here. This is the heart of the law. You guys know the first five books of the Bible? Let's say them out now. Ready? One, two, three, go. Genesis. Bingo. Watch this. By the way, it's called the Pentateuch, right? Five books, the Pentagon, five sides. So the, the Pentateuch, all right? Genesis gives us the story before the life of Moses, right? Deuteronomy repeats the law uh, given on Mount Sinai for the generation after Moses. So in this way, Genesis and, Le- uh, uh, I should say, uh, Deuteronomy uh, are, are related. That's a typo there. So that, where it says numbers in green, that's wrong. That should be Deuteronomy. So Genesis and Deuteronomy, the first and fifth book, right, are similar. Exodus 119 gives the career of Moses from his birth until he receives the law. Numbers 10, 11 through 36:13 give us the career of Moses after he receives the law until just before his death. So in this way, it should be Exodus and Numbers. Oh, okay, that one's in there. Good. Okay. The account of uh, the giving of the law runs from Exodus 20 to the end of Exodus, from all of Leviticus all the way to Numbers 10. So this sets up what? Leviticus stands in the very center of the whole first five books of the law, the Pentateuch. And knowing, as we said earlier, the center of Leviticus is in 16 and 17, right? Do you see how the Day of Atonement is at the very heart of the law big picture Genesis Exodus Exodus Leviticus Numbers Deuteronomy what is that what's the very heart of that the day of atonement the day of atonement this is why Leviticus 17:11 is so important sacrifice is God's primary way of grace and mercy to find a way to live in God's presence what is God doing in Leviticus he's restoring Eden As I said last week, think of Leviticus as one of the Gospels. So what is Leviticus all about? What is all the rituals and the priesthood and purity laws all about? It's about recovering what was lost in Eden. Now, I mentioned this earlier. There it is. For those of you that have not seen this before, this is a still image from a lightning bolt that struck this really high tree and it's taken from someone who is, like, inside, I don't know if that's a kitchen window or what, a living room, but, wow, look at that. That's amazing to look at, isn't it? Have you ever, y'all uh, sometimes have fires in your backyard? Y'all have fires? Raise your hand to me if you ever do little fire pits. Okay, isn't there something uh, very warm warm and inviting about looking at a fire on a cool Texas evening, right? there's a glory to that lightning bolt right there's a glory to that it provides light but we can also agree that being close to a lightning bolt is what (laughs) dangerous dangerous when a lightning bolt comes close to a human how does that human respond yeah, I had, when I showed you that video, at first I had to uh, take out all the audio because of what the humans were saying because of the lightning bolt coming close to them. They feared for their lives. You hear things like, Whoa! Did you see that? There are so many slumbering Christians sloshing through songs. The worship is dead. They have, the glory of God has departed what does God look like what if Jesus came down a lot like that he showed himself off at the Mount of Transfiguration what did that look like a lot like that that's why Peter's the one going bu, 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 bu. this is great for us to be here I don't know what I'm saying but this is good for us to build. quote not knowing what he was saying, close quote. That's why. And we would all be like that, frankly, right? It's the same with God's presence. This is why most of the colony not showing up for worship. This is why most of the country not showing up for worship. We are praising their worst nightmare. In the garden, we lost access to draw near to God's manifest presence. And this, let me, let me show it to you this way. This is what's being recovered. What happened to Adam and Eve after they sinned? Banished. You're gone. Out. Out of the garden. Old Testament scholars have picked this up. There's, there's three compartments, there's three parts in the Genesis account. You have the midst of the garden, key term, the midst of the garden, you have the Garden of Eden, you have the Land of Eden, and then what's outside all of that? The Land of Nod, where a lot of uh, <laughs> Baptist back row worshipers do. It's the Land of Nod. Oh. No, it actually means the Land of Wandering, but I digress. All right, so, so notice here, visually, Three compartments. Hmm. Three compartments. Well, what's going on with the tabernacle? This is what's going on. Look. Three compartments. The Holy of Holies, the Holy Place, and the Outer Court. And then you had the land outside of the Outer Court. It's the same with the temple. This is not by accident. I've told you this before. What are the, the, patriarchs, the patriarchs in Genesis doing when they have this encounter with the manifest presence of God? What are they doing afterwards? They're building what? An altar. Many prototypes to the tabernacle, ultimately fulfilled in the temple. God is restoring what was lost in Eden. Praise God. Do you see what God's doing here? And now with the coming of Christ and the sending of the Holy Spirit, we are now living temples by the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a great gospel. This is a great gospel. And this is one through Jesus Christ by his death and resurrection. The restoration will not be completely fulfilled until he returns, which is going to be soon and very soon. Indeed, the last two chapters of the Bible, you know what happens? The last two chapters of the Bible... The Holy of Holies, it's described, the, the, the inner part, it's, it's a cube, it's a square, just like Eden in the midst of the garden, just like the Holy of Holies. And this, this Holy of Holies comes down to earth. And it's a beautiful picture of God restoring all things to Eden. Amen. Amen. So, what needs to change in your life? In preparation For the return of the king, he's going to restore all things. Listen, what needs to change in your life? And I'm asking this because I had to ask this of myself before I asked you of this, right? That's one thing about being a a preacher. You get to repent before you call others to repent. Amen. What needs to change in light of What God has made us as living Temples And he's made us a kingdom of Priests right It's interesting I was talking with David McRide and he was telling me About his teaching of 1st Peter Some of the kids And as I was reviewing For the message I told him yeah Peter He's talking to Peter's talking to a people that are being Persecuted And out of the gate, in chapter 1, he's quoting from Leviticus. And you know what he's quoting? He's quoting this. Be holy, for I am holy. So, what needs to change in repentance to the Lord? Let's pray together.